right. Well, welcome to Faith Over Breakfast. My name is Eric Seepin, and I am pastor of the Village Church. We've been doing this Faith Over Breakfast podcast for almost a year. Well, I guess a little more than a year. Uh, Andy Littleton and I. Uh, Andy's from Mission Church. I'm from the Village, as I said. Andy's not here today because he got out of town, and so I'm doing the podcast on my own. So I kind of want to start with this idea of food. I love food. Um, and one of my favorite restaurants is Sene Thai downtown. And I just want to talk about one thing that you need to eat at Sene Thai, and those are taro fries. Oh my goodness. I don't even know if taro root or whatever it is is real, but these taro fries are amazing. Amazing. And I really can't describe them beyond amazing. They are just really tasty, and so you need to go down to Sene Thai and pretty much eat anything that they serve there, but what you have to do is order these taro fries. They are so, so good. So Sene Thai is my restaurant recommendation uh, this gone, so I'm kind of free to talk about things, and I just wanted to first say thank you to Russ um, and Colleen for responding to this podcast and just saying how much they enjoyed it, and in particular, uh, Colleen's constructive um, thoughts and uh, things that she thought we could do to improve things and the things that she liked. really appreciate that. Uh, If you want to give us feedback. And really, actually, if you listened to the last podcast, we asked you for feedback. So please send your feedback to faithoverbreakfast at gmail.com. We really, really want to hear what you have to say about this podcast, suggestions, people to interview, things that we could do, uh, how we could make things more interesting, stuff like that. Uh, today I want to talk about a couple subjects. One particular subject I'd like to talk about is parenting. Because uh, my church in particular has a lot of uh, kids in it, and I have two kids. My oldest child is Ashton. You may have heard her call in uh, last week asking for the car, and we were talking about sort of the car restrictions, and um, I was talking about her being uh, a little bit spatially challenged and things like that, and just learning to drive and, and all that kind of thing. And as a, a new father of a, of a 17-year-old who's driving, uh, just all the anxieties that are built into that. But I wanted to say that my daughter is awesome, and one of the things that I love about her is just how down-to-earth she is, and how she is just so focused on school, focused on doing well, focused on um, moving forward in her life. She's very goal-oriented, and I just love that because it's just fun to talk to her about all of her ideas and where she's headed and what she wants to do and how she's going to accomplish that. I mean, she's just full of life and full of those things. The other thing, though, if you don't know this, my daughter is one of the most amazing artists that I've met. And it's not that she's like got the most, you know, skill that I've ever seen, though she's highly skilled. It's that her voice is just so loud 
in her art, and she's so humorous. Um, she did this little uh, cartoon um, about a dust bunny witch. I mean, it was just hilarious. Um, instead of her broom, she has a little brush, and it's it's just really funny. I'll post some links to the little cartoons that she's done there. But all of her cartooning of people and, and little stories about herself and what goes on in her head um, in her art, is it just makes me chuckle. And it could be, you know, it's just because I'm her dad and I've always thought whatever she's done is incredible. Um, but I really just, I love her art and I love, I love her a lot. You know, it's, it's been rough over the last year for her and for our whole family and that my wife lost her mother and so the kids lost grandma and that that's really rough and then ashton soon after that had to have major back surgery of which she's still recovering because even this week we were you know we went to costco yesterday and she can't carry anything yet i mean she can carry up to 25 pounds now um and so there's some limits on just how physically involved she can be with things and she's still sore and she's you know trying to stretch out muscles that have been um, tightened uh, and are not used to being rearranged and all that kind of stuff. So being a parent of a 17-year-old is is different because at some level, at least my particular 17-year-old, she's so much an adult and yet she's just 17. And so you have this, this relationship with a kid and you have this relationship with an adult and you're trying to figure that out. Like, Parents and, and kid are trying to figure things out, figure out how you talk about things, figure out how even discipline happens in that context and all of that is is an adventure. But in particular, I just want to talk about in parenting, like what I have noticed is in my generation in particular, so that'd be Gen Xers and millennials, is that there's this desperation to be friends with your children, with our children. And we're much more sensitive to how our children are experiencing us and how we are relating to them and are we giving them what they need. Whereas the boomer parents and then the silent generation, you know, in some ways the silent generation had this, this idea that, that children should be seen and not heard. And that would be the boomer children. And, and when they grew up, they were very not available to their children. Um, so this is where we end up with the latchkey kids and all that kind of stuff. So in response to that, Gen Xers and millennials, as parents, tend to be reacting to their their mom and dad who wasn't involved with them, wasn't connected to them, because most of us, we feel disconnected um, when it comes to our, our parents. And so there's this this effort to always try to be friends, and this affects a discipline. So what I end up seeing a lot, especially with younger children, and then this affects the way you interact with them as they get older, is that there isn't, you don't want to disappoint. You don't want to, to create an environment with your kid where they're not going to like you. Um, but you also want them to try to have this freedom. And so what happens is you get a lot of strong-willed children. You get a lot of children who act up in public. You get uh, that are difficult to redirect. It's because you're trying to be friends with your kid. And it's, you're really afraid to have consistent discipline. But the other part of that, in my experience, is that, and I see this in myself a lot of times, is that discipline 
means sacrifice, right? One of the best ways of understanding how to be a good parent is really to look at Jesus, that Jesus lays down his life for us. He dies to himself in order for us to have relationship with God, with him. And a lot of that comes in in parenting, that we have to die to what we're enjoying in the moment a lot of times in order to discipline our children. Or we have to die to the internal demand to have everything at an equilibrium in ourselves and, and actually disrupt that in order to engage our child in discipline, whatever it is, and redirecting and all that kind of stuff. The other thing is there's been such a reaction to spanking, which I'm fine with, um, but the problem with it is if you don't come up with uh, consequences that have some severity to them, and, and do them consistently, you're going to struggle as a parent. Because I think there are two things as a parent, if you're a follower of Jesus, that you're, you have to do. One is that you are trying to build uh, into your children a knowledge of Jesus. Part of that is for, by you having an authentic relationship with Jesus as parents so that they can see that authenticity. But on the other time, other way, it's just getting them familiar with Scripture, getting them familiar with Jesus, getting them familiar with the stories of of the Bible, connecting them into a community where there are kids and also adults who are helping them move towards God. But the other thing that, that you're looking to do, especially with children, I would say from the ages of zero to 12, is you're just trying to, to maintain your own sanity. And what I've noticed with parents is that they're not sane because their kids rule the house. And it's, and then they may even have well-behaved children who rule the house because what happens is, is that you believe that servanthood towards your children is meaning that they are the priority all the time. And honestly, uh, if you're not a single parent, uh, your marriage is way more important than the children and the children's priorities. So if you have to sacrifice uh, something for the children, it should be for your marriage. Um, and, and if you're a single parent and you're wrestling with stuff, I mean, that's overwhelming. But part of your, but it's, again, your relationship with Jesus is more important than the kids getting what they want. Um, you know, some of, I, I wrote on a blog and I'll link it, uh, you know, just some guidelines to parenting. And one of the things that I put on there and I think is so important is that you need to practice disappointing your children at least twice a day. The reason is, is that this world will disappoint them. And if they do not get used to being disappointed and not always getting what they want, or even, you know, earning what they want, but really just not getting what they want, um, they're, they're going to struggle in a world that's constantly pushing back against them and disappointing them. And you, I, I think me, you, all of us, we need to get over this need to be friends with our kids. Friendship will happen when you give your children structure and boundaries and are willing to disappoint them. But the other thing I've noticed is, is that we often struggle to genuinely play with our children and engage with our children um, that in, in, with like motives that aren't built around, I want my child to like me. 
Um, we, we have a hard time because our parents didn't get down on their knees and play with us a lot. Our parents often, as a general rule, now I know there are exceptions to this, weren't engaged at the same level um, that we are now engaging our kids. But I feel like a lot of times we're not engaging them because we just simply enjoy being silly and we enjoy what they enjoy. But we're doing it because we want them to have a different experience than us. And I really don't think that's a good idea in general. I think it's actually hurtful. Um, so those are, you know, just some of my, my thoughts on parenting. And the cool thing about this podcast at this moment is it's just sit, me sitting here talking about life and talking about the world around us. Um, the other thing I kind of want to talk about a little bit is about anxiety. Because more and more people are experiencing anxiety and depression. Um, I think probably in previous generations, you don't have the permission to to be anxious. Um, but it's also, I think, anxiety culturally um, is a byproduct of both World War II and uh, Vietnam, Korea, uh, the, the wars and the violence that have been shown to us, but also the chaoticness of life and the financial prosperity of our culture has produced anxiety in, in, in a cultural sense. Uh, certainly, I, I also think that probably the, there's some things going on chemically uh, from the way that we've changed the way we eat, how far we are away from the main sources of our food, that, that, that there's some you know, things going on that way. Um, but how you and I deal with anxiety is important because a lot of times we feel just caught in anxiety and we think that physiologically it's just something that we can't deal with and it's overwhelming us and and the way we've dealt with it in our culture is to medicate it and I'm not against medication I think actually medication is very helpful but one of the things we have to realize about anxiety is that anxiety is a control issue we're anxious because we are not in control of things and Jesus talks about this all the time. And when he talks about it in Matthew, he talks about it in the context of us understanding that we have this good father who will take care of us. Um, that we don't need to be in control of everything. And I think the hardest thing for somebody who's feeling anxious, and I've had severe panic attacks. I've had panic attacks where my blood pressure has been up at 190 over 110, like, or 109, I think it was, somewhere in there, 109 or 10. It was crazy, right? I've had those. I had blackouts when I was in college. I understand what a true anxiety attack is. But I also understand that those things sprung out of my need to control things, and what happens with anxiety is that it produces in us kind of this deception and this falsehood. And, and what we begin to do is, is live out in a world that's, that's not true. And we, our anxiety really makes us liars internally and externally. And so part, and this is so hard for, for people who have anxiety, and so I'd include myself in this, is that it's really hard for us when we're feeling the extreme physiological experience to understand that part of that physiology, the thing that we're feeling, 
is actually a sin, something we're doing wrong. And the thing that this, the way of rejecting God and what we're saying is, look, God is not good enough, strong enough, sovereign enough, mighty enough to be in control. I need to be in control. I need to control how people perceive me. I need to control the chaotic world around me. God is not strong enough to do these things. God is not sovereign. And so we we reject the rule of Jesus over us when we feed the anxiety. Now, the actual physiological experience is legitimate, though it is fueled, I would argue, by some of our disbelief in God's ability to control things. And so when we feel a physiological experience like fear or anxiety, we really have to begin to understand what it is that we're believing. Because I talk about this a lot in our church, but it, Peter tells us that, that Satan is going to and fro, looking for whom he can devour. And the moment that he wishes to devour you, like the, what the, the place that you're most vulnerable, is in your anxiety. And, and so and where he's looking to do is, is, is really kind of reinforce the things that you believe that aren't true. And, and it's interesting because in those moments of anxiety, like we believe things that aren't true about ourselves a lot. I mean, like we believe we can't, like that we can't do it, that, that we're broken so f- badly or, or that the world is, is, you know, or we go on to the world and the people around us that, that they're against us or they're going to hurt us or they're, um, you know, and, and so we begin to develop these very strong narratives about who we are in the world and and who people are like what they are going to do to us and what they believe about us and a lot of times it has to do with their perception of us how we feel about our own self-image um, and the enemy loves to feed all of that but what's fascinating about us believing things that aren't true about ourselves and believing things that aren't true about other people is that we this develops a really unique um and I think very damaging, well, it is damaging, view about God. Is that if, if God, if the world is this way, then God is, and we have, is not in control. God's angry with me. God doesn't care. I've messed up so much, and so he's punishing me. Like, we, all these thoughts come pouring out of us when we experience physical anxiety. And so what happens is we get ourselves caught in a loop, and the enemy so much loves to to feed that and, and 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 as soon as we have that anxiety happening and we have this tape that's playing in our in our mind about you know who we are who the world is and who god is is that the enemy's like he just loves to point out things he'll say yeah see here's how your dad failed you here's you know here's what people are saying about you here yes it's look at all the times you messed up see here's where god wasn't available see this horrible thing happened to you where well, was god and so he reinforced the evil reinforces the lies that you and I believe. And so what happens is is you and I run to some form of relief that is um is destructive to us, right? So we start drinking. We we begin to obsess about certain things. We look at pornography. We we begin to daydream. We we dive deep into 
shows on Netflix and, and we watch tons of movies and we, we do drugs and we use our anger to kind of create some power. Like there are so many ways that we try to le- relieve our experiences of anxiety and fear. And yet what's interesting about human beings is that we spend our time justifying why we need to do it, why we need to drink, why we need to do pot, why we need to do, you know, why, why an extra this out of the refrigerator is good, why, you know, ice cream is good, why, like, being angry is okay because this is all the things that these people have done to us, why, you know, being destructive and doing destructive things to our body, like, we could go on and on. We have a justification for the relief that helps us numb out to the pain and the lies that we believe about ourselves and others and God. Like, it's, it's so pervasive and, and destructive. And so what happens is we we miss out so much on on the choice that Jesus is giving us repeatedly when we experience physiological anxiety and fear. When we begin to feel these feelings that produce these beliefs. And the more we hang on to those beliefs, the stronger the physiological experience becomes and we miss out on the story of Jesus. We miss out on the gospel, which is really fascinating because in the moment when we think we're most desperately in need relief, Jesus tells us things that that we we struggle to grab hold of. And part of it is, is that there's this invitation in the midst of our anxiety for our anxiety not to be the center of things, but the story of Jesus to be the center of things. And so Jesus quickly turns things on his on the head and says, look, like even though you're experiencing all of this, even though you're experiencing all of this, let me tell you who I am and what I've done. There's this invitation within the Gospels, not just to embrace the death and resurrection of Jesus, but to embrace the words that he speaks over the woman at the well, the words that he speaks to Nicodemus in the dark of the night, the words that he speaks to Peter after Peter has denied him in this very strong invitation at the end of John to to come take care of all of Jesus' people. To feed his sheep. Like the ways that, that, that Jesus heals the paralytic who's layered, lowered down, like, like these, your sins are forgiven, which is, at, 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 we don't realize how core that is to identity, to the, to the belief we have about ourselves, where there's so much shame about us. And Jesus is saying, no, no, you are forgiven. There's so much power in all of that. Um, but and so there's this invitation really from Jesus within the gospel to say, no, it's not about me and the anxiety. Like the, Jesus saying, come live your life around me, embrace my death, embrace eternal life, which is simply a gift of deep, intimate friendship with God, a restoration of your soul. He's saying, come be part of this. Listen to me on the Sermon of the Mount. Listen to, to me as I speak to the woman who's, who's bled for so long and who's desperate. Like, 
Listen to the way I care for children. Allow those words to pour over you and to embrace them. There's this invitation to change our focus, to not listen to the accuser, to to tell him to go away because he'll flee if you resist the devil, James tells us. And so the the other thing, though, is that I don't think we we completely comprehend all the just the magnitude of what Paul says when he says that we are new creations, and that what he says in Ephesians about us being the handiwork of God, like these two ideas, new creation, handiwork of God, are such. You have to stop and meditate on what Paul is saying. He's saying. Like true relief from your anxiety is in the moment of the most severe severe experience that you're having of your fear and anxiety, the words of Jesus and the actual truth of who you are are being poured over you if you'll listen. You're a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. I have designed you specifically to resist even, to to to. To know what to do. I've I've created works for you, he tells us in Ephesians. Like you are so loved by God. And then you Peter lays out for us um, that we are priests. We're part of a holy nation. And that's that's really important. The priesthood. Because priests our, our primary identity outside of being children of God is that we are priests, right? And because the church is, in many ways, Israel now, we are the priests to many nations. So if you decide to follow Jesus, your identity is priest. So you, your primary identity in your marriage, outside of being a child of God, is that you are a priest to your wife and to your husband and to your children. Like, you are a priest to the people that you work with. Priests bind up wounds, Right? Priests point people towards Jesus. Priests have compassion on suffering. And we do this all in the name of Jesus. And and Peter tells us that we part of like the praise that we offer, the, the way we point to Jesus is to talk intimately about how God has moved us out of the dark and into the glorious light. This is amazing because this pours into what life is all about if you live in the gospel, and that is living in the kingdom of God. And the cool thing is that that the kingdom of God is bursting forward wherever you are because the Holy Spirit is in you. The Holy Spirit is in you. So wherever you go, the kingdom is. Jesus is clear that wherever he is, the kingdom is. So now wherever you are, the kingdom is being made manifest. Again, I say this over and over again when I talk to my community. It's a mind-blowing concept. And there are two paths, I, I would argue, in, I mean, there are a number of paths within the kingdom of God, but the two that I like to emphasize often is the path of repentance and the path of, of, of loving action, which they're intertwined with each other. But repentance is, is, a, is a proclaiming of one's brokenness, grabbing hold of one's um, 
forgiveness through the cross and holding tight to the hope of the resurrection. Like it's a turning around from what you've done. Repentance is moving away. It's it's a pronouncement and a moving away from your brokenness of of saying, I'm I in my anxiety, I have chosen to believe that I'm the center of all things. And in my anxiety, I've chosen to believe that God is not sovereign and that I need to be in control. In my fear, I have have not spoken what needs to be spoken. I have run from the things that I need to do. But I am forgiven in Jesus. And I'm going to step forward. And part of that step forward, part of that loving action is going to people who probably won't even recognize it and saying, look, this is how my the choices I've made out of my anxiety have impacted you. These are the things that I believed about you. These are the things I believed about me. That's part of it. The other part is walking in knowing you're a new creation and that you have good things to offer the people around you and then just practicing offering them and let the Holy Spirit act. Part of living in the kingdom of God is saying, what are you doing so that I can see what I'm going to do? How do I join you, Jesus, in the acts of goodness in my wife or my kid's life? How do I join you in what you're doing in the different people in my community's lives. Show me. Part of the kingdom is just this, this, this longing to see Jesus act and to be part of what he's doing and to ask him um, what he's doing in your life and the life of others. I know it's a long talk about anxiety, but I think we have to keep going back to the understanding that when we have these physiological experiences, the enemy so wants to tear us apart and intensify our experience and drive us away from the gospel. So really that's all I have to say today. Um, There are just a couple things on my mind, and so I wanted to lay them out. I hope you had a good time listening to me. And Andy will be back next week, and we'll be doing other things. So I hope you have a good week. This podcast obviously will be up on on a Friday, so... I hope you have a good weekend. Thank you very much.